Welcome to the 32nd episode of the First Take Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Gadiel Cartagena, speaking with co-host Tyler Yarnell. Today we answer your questions and throw in some training camp talk as we try to figure out who's making a name for themselves despite the lack of preseason. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the First Take Fantasy Football Podcast. So today we have another mailbag episode, but before that, we get into that I want to talk about David Montgomery's groin injury. So we know David Montgomery is reported to be out two to four weeks, and that puts him at questionable for week one. Tyler, how are you now approaching David Montgomery in drafts? And does this injury scare you, not scare you? I mean, give me the whole breakdown. So for me, I don't think I changed my approach with David Montgomery. I see him as a flex play for this season, but, you know, an injury that might take him out for the beginning of the season, it doesn't really concern me much because – you know, I, I wouldn't be so reliant on him on my team in the first place. He like, like I said, he'd probably be like the sixth or seventh best player on my team. So I feel like with the way that I draft, I'd be able to fill in his spot uh, for the first couple of weeks of the season. And then when week three, week four, whenever he comes back, like I'd be able to um, implement him back into the team and yeah, just be perfectly fine with that. Yeah, I think with Montgomery, he's someone that honestly was kind of growing on me with all the like the good news we've been hearing about him, whatever. The Bears offense still sucks. Uh, don't know how their quarterback situation is going to go, and that's probably my biggest issue with Montgomery. But I don't know. I, I guess I'm not drafting him where he was currently being drafted. Probably going to have to wait till like round six, maybe see if he slips to round seven. Um but I know I will definitely be moving him back like a spot or two just because I, I don't think he suits up for the first two weeks of the season. And if he does, I don't think he's 100%. So you're pretty much going to have a depreciating asset for the first two weeks of the season, and that's not the best way to start your season. I would probably try to get somebody else that can make some noise early on because the times you can really take advantage of trades and whatnot and free agency and waivers and all that stuff in fantasy is definitely in the first two weeks. So you don't want to just have Montgomery sitting there kind of collecting dust on your bench while you're probably losing games because you spent high draft capital on them. So I'm not probably going to be drafting much Montgomery this year unless he slides a lot, but that's pretty much just how I feel about it. Um, We'll get into the mailbag. So we have a few questions here from Instagram and then one question from a friend that I want to get into. Um, First and foremost, Higby or Ingram and why? You know, I like the upside for both these players with Evan Ingram. We've seen him produce as a top five tight end whenever he's been on the field, but the issue for him has been getting on the field. Like he's dealt with injuries pretty much every season of his uh, young career, but uh, the talent is undeniable for him with Higby. It's been more so about opportunity. Uh, And when the Rams went into 12 personnel, I think that he, he got a lot more involved into the, the offense. He's getting about, six to eight targets a game uh, over those past four or so games last season. So I think that he definitely benefited from the 12 personnel. Uh, I'm going to take Evan Ingram here because I, I mean, he, he has the high, a higher upside than uh, Tyler Higby. And if I'm spending that round eight, nine, 10 draft capital that I think that he's going at, I'd rather take the upside there. And then kind of hedge it with a, a late round tight end, like a, like a Jack Doyle or somebody that I know that can come in and get um, 
you know, consistent numbers throughout the season. So uh, I'm going to take Evan Ingram here. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think, like you said, you're shooting for the upside. And yes, Higby's upside is nice. I mean, he put the best five-game stretch of a tight end, like, ever. He put that together last year. But I think with Evan Ingram, you're looking at a guy that pretty much when he's been on the field, he's been a top five talent and he's been a top five fantasy tight end. His problem, like you said, is not being on the field. But you're looking at a guy that Tyler Higby, if everything goes his way, he can be the number three target in Los Angeles. If everything goes Evan Ingram's way in New York, he could literally be the number one option in the passing game. So you're getting a guy that's more talented, could potentially see more volume. I think you kind of got to put two and two together and the upside definitely outweighs the risk. Like you said, worst case scenario, just pair him with somebody else, a later round tight end and hedge your bet with that. But Evan Ingram, it's weird to say because I hate drafting players that are quote unquote injury prone or just get injured a lot. And he is that, but I think there's some serious, serious upside to be had with Ingram. And I would much rather have that than Tyler Higby. I think he's a more talented player and he definitely could see more opportunity. And now we have Joe Mixon or Josh Jacobs, and why? Straight up, I'm going to take Josh Jacobs here. I love his role in this offense, even if he does not get the predominant uh, catches, catching share out of this backfield. That seems to be uh, Jalen Richard's role in the offense. But um, you did a film breakdown on Josh Jacobs, and – just further solidified how good Josh Jacobs is to, um, to everyone. And uh, he's running behind a, a very good offensive line in Oakland, uh, something that Joe Mixon does not have in Cincinnati. I think that with Joe Mixon, he's very game, game script dependent. And if they go, big, go down big in games throughout the season, then uh, I think that they'll uh, be taking out uh, Joe Mixon and then just putting in Gio Bernard uh, along with that Joe Mixon is may or may not be dealing with a contract dispute right now he's missed I think the last four or five practices uh, due to migraines but um, I think that it could also ha have something to do with uh, the contract issue because he he's going into the his final year uh, of his contract and he doesn't have a, an extension so that's a bit worrisome and, you know, I just like Josh Jacobs overall. I think that he's a guy that has legitimate top five upside this season and is going at not as an absolute steal right now in second round. Yeah, with Josh Jacobs and Joe Mixon, I see essentially almost the same type of player. I mean, they're both really, really, really talented running backs. Like these dudes are special and they both have that top five talent. Um, and then you start to factor in situations. So with Josh Jacobs, the only thing you're worried about is a bunch of these no-name guys taking away targets away from him. Yes, Jalen Richard is going to be involved, but that Dwayne Washington role is still up for grabs. If Jacobs can secure that, then he will finish as a top five running back. With Joe Mixon, I don't really know how much room there is for him to grow in the passing game. I think he got like 40-something targets last year. He can maybe get up to 50, uh, 60. I mean, kind of match Jacobs' same upside in that regard. So they're both relatively game script dependent until proven otherwise. Um, I'm hoping we can kind of see Jacobs evolve in that aspect this year. That's what I'm expecting him in year two. Mixon is going into year four. And like you said, that contract dispute is a huge deal. So I'm working on this piece to post on Instagram and pretty much Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon outside of uh, Joe Mixon has migraines. Dalvin Cook has injury concern with his shoulder, his knee and whatever. 
these guys have serious questions in terms of how much they're going to play this season because they are in a contract year. They try to negotiate with their teams and their teams are not really working with them. They're, for lack of a better term, disrespecting them in terms of contract negotiations because these guys aren't asking for the world. Uh, Joe Mixon's asking for, I think, $8 million, which for his talent is completely reasonable if you look at what Melvin Gordon just got. So they're definitely feeling disrespected. And I think you're going to see, one, these guys are not like small injuries, like minor, minor injuries. They're going to be missing practices. They might even hold out of a game or two just by milking the injuries and making sure they can get their prioritize themselves as opposed to playing on the field for a team that doesn't want to pay them their fair share. So that's one risk that I have with these contracts or these holdout running backs. And another thing is they can due to the CBA, they can play six games and then hold out after that. So it kind of sounds stupid when you break it down. If you get those six games, you're productive in those six games. You don't think you have anything else to prove for your next team and your next contract, then you might as well just sit out and one, show the team that disrespected you in contract negotiations that they're stupid and they could have paid you. And maybe that accelerates the process. I don't know when the contract deadline is, but that definitely could help. And two, you just you make sure you're healthy going into next year. You don't have any injury concerns. You don't have anything that ruins your value. Your value will be what it is. And then you can just wait until next year and get whatever your contract's worth. So you might lose a few dollars because you didn't play a full season and it kind of looks weird. But at the end of the day, if you can secure – 7 million over four years or 28 million over four years, as opposed to like the maybe one, maybe 2 million that they're making right now for this season, I think they probably will. So for that reason, along with Josh Jacobs just being behind a better offensive line, I'm taking Josh Jacobs, but that, that's another thing with the, the contract holdouts. I'm Joe Mixon and Dalvin cook, despite their respective talents and upsides, I think I'm pretty much going to be avoiding both of them even if I do believe they're going to do well, it's just the situation's scary and it's, there's a lot of uncertainty there. And I don't really like to draft that uncertainty so early. So yeah, with those two players, it's, it's a little scary. And Josh Jacobs definitely gets the nod from me. And we'll have another Jacobs question, Josh Jacobs or Miles Sanders in Dynasty? I'm going to stick with Josh Jacobs here. I like the security that he has in this offense. He has, as a first-round pick, he's going to have uh, three more seasons with this team plus a, a team option uh, in the fifth year of his contract. So he, had, he has the opportunity to spend four years uh, in Oakland and kind of be the Las face Vegas. of this offense. Oh, I'm sorry, Las Vegas. <laughs> and be the face of this offense behind a very good offensive line. He seems to be the focal point here. Um, I also think that he's a more talented player than Sanders overall. I like uh, Sanders as a receiving back, and I like the offense that he's in. But in Dynasty, I look to uh, pursue talent more so than situation. And I just think overall, Josh Jacobs is the better player. So I'm, I'm taking Josh Jacobs here. Yeah, literally every – like you took the words out of my mouth. I think Jacobs is a better player. Um, situations are almost negligible in – that aspect, I think they're pretty similar. They're both good situations. Um, yeah, Miles Sanders could do great this year. I'm still baking out Josh Jacobs to be a consistent top 10 option for the next four years. And that's, I mean, if you can lock that in in Dynasty, that's amazing. Miles Sanders is, he, he has some work to do in order to kind of become that consistent top 10 option. He's in one of the best situations in the NFL this year, but I don't know. I'm still, I'm still taking Josh Jacobs over him. I think he is just a significantly better football player. 
So now we have another question, CEH or Miles Sanders? And I think that's in reference to this year because I think Dynasty, most people are going to take CEH. But in reference to this year, CEH or Miles Sanders? This one's tough. This one's really tough. I think that – I think had Andre Dillard not just gotten injured, the left tackle for the – Philadelphia Eagles, who is now going to be out for the season, I think that this answer might have been different. But as of right now, I'm going to stick with Clyde Edwards-Alaire here over Miles Sanders. I think that they're both obviously in very good positions to succeed. Um, but with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he's literally in the best offense in the league. He's going to be playing with Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, all studs. And I think that he's just going to be an afterthought for defenses and just completely torch them. Everybody in, in the Chiefs camp has been raving about him. And I think that he's clearly separated himself from all the other running backs on this roster, especially with Damon Williams being out. So I think that Clyde Edwards-Alaire gets uh, more of a workload than a lot of us really think, especially considering uh, – we, we presume that he'd get about 60, 65% uh, workload share out of this backfield. I think that given the, the town gap between Clyde Edwards-Alaire and the next guy, whether it may be Dwayne, uh, DeAndre Washington, uh, Daryl Williams, or Darwin Thompson, if you want to throw that name out there, I think that that town gap is very significant and could lead to Clyde Edwards-Alaire being, uh, getting like a 70% uh, workload share 75 percent um with miles sanders i think that the town gap isn't... i think it's i honestly think it's uh still like the same gap that there is in kansas city the same applies to uh philadelphia in my opinion i would agree i think it's a little bit closer maybe like boston scott doesn't scare me i'm taller than I, him. yeah no I, I don't think he he does either but i don't know I think that they'll both get about the same uh, receiving work overall. I, I just like the idea of having a piece in this Kansas City offense. Just as my, I, I like, I like the being a part of the Eagles' offense as well. It's just like comparing the number one offense to like a top seven op- offense, top eight offense. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to take Clyde Edwards away here. Yeah, the week-to-week upside for CEH is just insane. Um, like, this guy could score four touchdowns in a week, and I don't think anybody would be surprised. And another thing with him is, despite – I think Miles Sanders is and will be the better player throughout his career, but I think right now CEH uh, is more well-rounded. Miles Sanders is an elite receiving weapon. Um, CH is pretty much in that category already, but CH is also a really good runner between the tackles, specifically with zone running, and that's what the Kansas City Chiefs do. So he, he's a better fit in that Kansas City offense than I think Miles Sanders is as a runner in the Philadelphia offense. Um, but with what you said, Andre Dillard, now I don't particularly believe that it's that much of an impact as long as Jason Peters stays healthy. I mean, yes, you lose a right guard, but Miles Sanders isn't a good runner between the tackles anyways. So you're looking at a guy that's really just – he's reliant on his tackles because he's running outside of the tackles and behind his tight ends. So you have Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz isn't a great blocker. Goddard is a great blocker. So Goddard's pretty much that extra offensive lineman. I think 
Dillard's injury actually hurts Goddard because Goddard is going to have to block more. He's going to have to like come in and hit the linebackers, hit the DNs, whatever. But with Miles Sanders, I don't think it affects him that much, uh, really at all, because Jason Peters is still going to play left tackle. So you're really just relying on the guard. Sanders doesn't re- like rely on guards. Like he just doesn't. He's not very good between those tackles. And I think that it's honestly, if people are fading Sanders because of that, I mean, by all means, if Brandon Brooks was there, obviously it makes a big difference. That's a big boost. Helps him running between the tackles. But I'm not too concerned with uh, Sanders there, but I'm still taking CEH for all the reasons you said. Yeah, and I'm not, I don't want to go out and, and uh, make it seem like I'm, I'm fading Miles Sanders because I think that we have Clyde and Sanders like back-to-back with each other in our rankings. If not, they're, they're just about in the same tier. Like, I still see the upside of Miles Sanders, and I think that with uh, Dillard being out, I think that he has an opportunity to uh, honestly get get more receiving work if uh, defenses uh, pressure more in passing situations. I think that Carson Wentz will look to uh, make short, short passes more often. So I think that benefits uh, Zach Ertz and Miles Sanders. I just – it's very close between these two, Clyde and Miles, and I think that you could go either way. I'm just taking – the guy in the number one offense in the league yeah pat mahomes or carson Wentz. who do you want your running back to play next to i think the answer is quite obvious there but yeah no i'm 100 percent on board with everything you said that's pretty much exactly how i would draw the situation up as well um last instagram follower question with the current situation which guy would you pick cam Akers or deandre swift I'm taking DeAndre Swift 100%. I, I think that, you know, he's a very talented he, – he was possibly the most talented back in this draft. I, I think that you could debate between him and Jonathan Taylor. I was a bit upset during draft night when he got drafted by the Lions just because, you know, we haven't seen many fantasy-relevant options come out of Detroit. But uh, with a player as talented as DeAndre Swift is, I think that this offense – makes use of him, especially in the receiving game. Um, I think that we've seen uh, Matthew Stafford have success with uh, very good receiving running backs. We saw it with Theo Riddick uh, over, I think, a three-year stretch where he was uh, pretty fantasy relevant in PPR leagues. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that DeAndre Swift, given his talent, he can have the same kind of success. Along with that, he's just a, a great overall runner. Um almost compares to a guy named Alvin Kamara and he's very shifty and clearly the most talented uh, running back out of this backfield with Cam Akers. I think that there's a distinct talent gap between DeAndre Swift and Cam Akers. And I don't think his situation in Los Angeles is much better than the situation that DeAndre Swift is in. He still doesn't have a very good offensive line in Los Angeles. Um, and he may be, um, he may be forfeiting some of the receiving work out of the backfield to Daryl Henderson. So I think that his receiving work is moderately capped in that area. And I think that overall he's going to struggle uh, on the ground because of how bad this offensive line is. So I'm going to take DeAndre Swift here. Yeah, DeAndre Swift passing work is going to be big. Um, I understand he is injured right now, so that might affect the situation a little bit. 
but from all the reports and all the news we've heard out of Detroit, it is a precautionary injury similar to Miles Sanders. It might honestly be the same thing, just like a calf strain. And they're just like, you know what, just you've shown us enough in camp. Just don't do anything right now. We'll just put you in bubble wrap until the season starts. Then we'll go from there. That's how I'm viewing this DeAndre Swift situation. Obviously, you don't want to draft an injured player. He has missed, I believe, three to four practices in a row. But that's just going to happen if a team is just like, you know what, we're we're not playing you until the season starts. So DeAndre Swift, he stands out as he's going to have a clear role in this offense. He's going to be the pass catching back. And he's also probably going to push to lead the team in carries as well. That's not saying he's going to get a ton of carries, but carry on Johnson kind of sounds like a defeated man. Um, We heard him say, his hips and his knees don't move the same way as Swift. So that's obviously a good thing. And we've been hearing from Detroit that DeAndre Swift, when he has practiced, has been lighting it up. I mean, linebackers and safeties cannot guard him. He's doing great running in between the tackles. Everything Daryl Bevel wants and that this team drafted is what they're getting with DeAndre Swift. With Cam Akers, honestly, I haven't heard many reports that say, oh, Cam Akers is doing great, Cam Akers is whatever. I heard a report of him fumbling the other day in a scrimmage. Not that really of a big deal. But um, I've heard reports of Daryl Henderson kind of looking more like the guy or at least someone that could become the guy in Los Angeles. So I'm not saying Daryl Henderson is going to be the number one. I Relative to value, I'm definitely drafting Daryl Henderson over Cam Akers because he's going like five rounds after him. And Cam Akers doesn't have that much of a guaranteed workload. Um and yeah, like you said, that offensive line, Cam Akers is not going to get the bulk of the receiving work. He's going to be the between the tackles guy. He's going to be the runner of this backfield. So when you're looking at that behind a bad offensive line in a team that's probably going to be throwing a lot anyways, because they only have like two good players on their defense and then everybody else is kind of unproven. Um, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely going DeAndre Swift here. Less game script dependent, uh, better player better situation i just think that's it's a good good place to be for deandre swift i think you're looking at a guy that even with a leg injury is going to be a league winner this year he's that talented i don't care about playing in detroit this dude's a stud he's gonna ball out with or without carry on johnson getting work in that offense uh he's i love deandre swift this year we'll put it that way (laughs) i'm a big fan of his so the last question that we have this was actually submitted from a friend grant thank you for the question this is a brilliant question honestly so when rookie running backs are drafted at what point does the draft capital invested in the rookie deter you from the incumbent starter so to put that more simply um i'm looking to let's say i'm looking to draft like a kenyan drake they didn't take anyone until the seventh round so that should be a vote of confidence in drafting kenyan drake in fantasy right so Tyler, how do you think rookie running backs affect, like where, where would be like the cutoff of for where rookie running backs affect the starter? I think if there was a cutoff, it'd be somewhere around the third or early fourth round. I think that that's about where you get to the point where most, I, I think that most potential workhorses are guys that could come in and be workhorses kind of, are, uh, come off the board. Um, I think it's more so just trying to um, look for the talent or I think address the talent that's being drafted overall and kind of compare it to the player that is already on the team and see and kind of 
assess whether it's a complementary role that he could play in or a guy that could come in and possibly replace him after the season. And the perfect example that I think of when thinking of this is a Steelers situation. You know, you have a guy like James Conner on the team. He's going into his final year with the team. And uh, late fourth round, they went out and got Anthony McFarland. And when they first got him, I was a very big proponent of getting Anthony McFarland in your drafts because I thought of him as the guy that would come in uh, if James Conner were to get injured. But the more that I look at it, I see him having like a complimentary role in this offense. I think he's a guy that can come in and, you know, pro- provide a change of pace in the offense. He's a very explosive back, but he's not a guy that's going to go out and get a, a take like a 16-touch, 18-touch workload uh, in this offense, even if James Conner were to go down. So I think that if Connor were to go down, it'd be more of a committee role. And we'd see Anthony McFawn kind of get a lot of receiving work, some, some rushing touches. Uh, even if James Connor was on the field, I think that he's a guy that could be in a complimentary role. So, um, yeah, I think it's just about uh, assessing the, the talent that's coming out of the draft that's, that your team is drafting and comparing it to the players that are already on the roster. Yeah, I, I agree. I think assessing talent is probably one of the biggest things for that situation. But we'll go through like what running backs were drafted where this year because, I mean, I have it pulled up right now. So Clyde Edwards-Hilaire pretty much drafted to be the starter. DeAndre Swift, same thing. Jonathan Taylor as well. Cam Akers uh, also probably drafted to be the guy. We'll see if he becomes the guy. Um, hopefully he will because he's a pretty good player. Um, J.K. Dobbins is kind of where things started to get interesting. So he was more of a luxury pick for the Ravens. Um, I don't think he's the starter unless he absolutely just balls out, which he's been doing well in camp, but he's going to need to really, really do great on the field in order to take Mark Ingrams and Gus Edwards away from that offense and become the guy. So I think at the late second round, you're looking at guys that are most likely going to be complementary backs for their rookie year with the potential to take over eventually and I think that falls into the J.K. Dobbins, A.J. Dillon, Antonio Gibson. Um, Zach Moss went in the third round but I think he also fits that criteria so he definitely those four running backs take away from the starter currently. Um, So we're talking Mark Ingram, Aaron Jones, um, Devin Singletary and I mean it was supposed to be Darius Geis but I guess he took himself out of the equation so Antonio Gibson kind of gets that work there. But, yeah, those guys strike me as the ones that can eventually take over their backfields. A.J. Dillon, I'm honestly skeptical as to how much he's going to be involved this year. Um, There's been reports out of camp saying he's fourth on the team in snaps right now at running back. They have Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and Tyler Irvin. Uh, I guess Matt LaFleur just, you know, loves to get these big running backs and not play them. So we'll see if A.J. Dillon gets the work, but – Definitely still think A.J. Dillon has a potential to be the guy later on. But for 2020 purposes, I don't believe he has much of an impact. Now, the other running backs drafted, Keyshawn Vaughn was actually drafted ahead of Zach Moss. Don't understand that. Um, Pretty much just reminds me of Peyton Barber, maybe with like a little bit more athleticism. Um, But yeah, Keyshawn Vaughn was taken 76 overall. I don't really think he has much of an impact for this year. Uh, Darrington Evans also drafted at the end of the third round. Don't think he, I think... 
he coming in really opens the door for Derrick Henry to expand his workload and kind of become that like game script independent RB1. Like maybe Derrick Henry starts catching passes this year is all I'm saying, because Darrington Evans does not strike me as someone that is crazy. And then you have, I think the last running back that can really be fantasy relevant without injury would be in the beginning of the fourth round, Joshua Kelly. So I still don't think he impacts Austin Eckler. Um, I think if Joshua Kelly sucks and doesn't do well and Justin Jackson doesn't do well, then maybe Eckler gets a bump and kind of can become that next CMC that everyone's hoping he can become. But I think Joshua Kelly um, doesn't affect the projected workload for Austin Eckler. I think if you had him around 250 touches, that's about where you should expect him. And Tyler, I know I traded you Joshua Kelly in our fantasy league because I wanted to kind of monopolize the Washington backfield, but how are you viewing Josh Kelly this year? I mean, we've been hearing great reports out of camp. So what's your like expected workload for Kelly? So, yeah, we, we've been hearing a lot about Josh Kelly specifically in the past few days because he started out working with the second team, third team. And then he, uh, by the end of the week, he was working with the first team, uh, getting reps with and without Austin Eckler on the field. So as a, as a Joshua Kelly owner, I think that definitely – that's definitely something to be happy about, especially when you consider there isn't really a power back on this roster besides, uh, well, there isn't a, a power back on the roster. It's and, just Josh Kelly. <laughs> yeah. And um, there's an undrafted rookie that that's been highlighted in hard knocks, but I, I forgot his name, uh, but he's a, he's a big boy. And I'm not, I'm not sure if he's going to make the team or not. I honestly don't know much information about him, but the main concern in this offense for Joshua Kelly has been Justin Jackson, who has started as started out in training camp as the number two guy in this offense, who is going to assume the number two role in this offense. But uh, we've heard reports that he's going to be on a tight leash this season. And it, it makes sense because when you have a guy like Josh Kelly, who doesn't really wow you that he's in very spectacular, but he's just a solid player. He's a, he's a, he's a bruising guy and he can uh, run pretty well between the tackles um, and he's a hard worker as well. So, you know, when you have that kind of guy behind you, I, I doesn't surprise me that a guy that J Justin Jackson has a tight leash, but uh, as far as his workload, I think that to begin the season, he's going to start out kind of slow because he's still a rookie and when you have two guys in Eckler and Justin Jackson who have been in your system for the past couple of years, I think that you defer to those guys to begin the season and kind of let the rookies sit back and kind of um, continue to learn and maybe get a few touches here and there. But um, I don't really see just Joshua Kelly having much of a role to begin the season. Um, he's more so someone that I, I look to have to, or I'm looking at to have a role uh, by the second half of the season when he's more um, acclimated into the offense. And he's a guy that could uh, provide like the between the tackles role um, of what may possibly deliver a one, two punch with him and Eckler and be on the field while Eckler is on the field as well, run some two running back sets and uh, maybe split uh, Eckler out wide, put him in motion or something. But um Overall, I see him uh, possibly – I think that his upside is somewhere between, like, a 12 to 14-touch uh, workload. But um, 
yeah, that's something that I, I don't see happening until possibly like the second half of the season. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't say uh, like Dirk Cotter. I'm glad you didn't say 15 to 25 touch workload because that would give us some gray area there. Uh, anywhere from 240 to 400 carries or touches for Todd Gurley. But uh, yeah, with uh, Joshua Kelly, I think you're pretty much looking at discount Jordan Howard. Um, really smart runner. He, like you said, he doesn't stand out athletically, but he's just a very intelligent football player. And when you're playing in the NFL and you're not going to be a workhorse, you just need to be good at really good at some certain thing. And this guy has really, really good vision and really, really good patience and can kind of create his own blocks. And I think that'll be good because Justin Jackson, Justin Jackson, pretty much when he gets the ball, it's like he's fired out of a cannon. I mean, he just accelerates and runs straight downfield. But I'm not particularly sure if that's what the Chargers need. I think they need someone to methodically run down the field and just find these gaps in the defense and go for four to five yards, not look for a home run every time. Someone that could just grind the defense down. And you throw Austin Eckler in there, home run play, because that's who Austin Eckler is. I think that's kind of what the Chargers were going for in drafting him. And I think hearing him stand out this early on, I think he's going to force his way onto the field. Um, I don't know if he sees more than eight to ten touches a game just because I think Eckler gets that big increase that people want him to get. But Josh Kelly definitely could be – probably one of the most impactful rookies from a running back standpoint that was drafted outside of the top two rounds. Yeah, I agree. I think that his workload is kind of dependent on the success that this team has because they have a very good defense as far as talent goes. They brought in Chris Harris Jr. to be the slot corner and they still have Desmond King as, as a slot corner as well. They have, um, I don't know why their their other corners are slipping. Chris Harris Jr., Casey Hayward, uh, Casey Hayward, Casey uh, Hayward. Yeah, that's what I was missing. Uh, Derwin James as well. So they have a very talented secondary. They also obviously have uh, Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram on the outside, putting pressure on uh, the offensive line and the quarterback. So they, this team is built uh, to run, especially when you have a quarterback in Terod Taylor who. You know, he's never been a gunslinger. He's been more so a guy that's run. He, he's had his most success uh, being in an offense that's more run heavy. And I think that's what we're going to see in Los Angeles. And if we do see that, I think this definitely bodes well for Joshua Kelly. But if we do see uh, the team succeed, it'll be through the run game and playing uh, tough nose defense. And that just really benefits Joshua Kelly in my mind because – uh, when it comes down to uh, um, the end of games and they need someone to grind it out and, you know, run the clock, I think that down the stretch, uh, Joshua Kelly will be that guy. Um, so I, I think that he's definitely very dependent on the team's success as opposed to a guy like, obviously, Eckler is not dependent on the team's success. I think that he more more so benefits if the team is bad because he gets more receiving work. But um, yeah, I think that Justin Jackson is more so the guy that would fill in for Eckler. Would would he get hurt because he's more of uh, like you said, like a like a shot out of the cannon kind of guy. Um, he can add a little bit to the passing game. Uh, he can do a little. He can run pretty well between the tackles, but he's he's more of a speed guy. I think he's like 6'1", 195 pounds, so pretty skinny. Yeah, he's uh, really skinny. But he's not suited to get a big workload in the NFL. I can tell you that much. Good player, but he's just 
you wouldn't recognize him as an NFL player if you think if you're walking down the street because he's just yeah. he's very very skinny. Yeah. So I think that uh, Kelly's very. I think his success in fantasy is dependent on the the success that this team has overall. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So uh, Grant, pretty much to answer your question, I think it is always as it is in the NFL, a case by case basis. But if you are looking for a specific round that maybe would scare you, I think mid third round is probably around where the potential year one relevant players stop going. And you're looking more at complementary pieces, maybe players that can just compete for that special teams third, maybe even second running back role on a team, but not really a threat to the workload as are those guys in round two, like the DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, uh, maybe even J.K. Dobbins of the world. Um, with that being said, any news that we've gotten out of camp? Um, I see Bryce Love is potentially on the roster bubble, which does not look good for Bryce Love. If J.D. McKissick is ahead of you and they obviously are really invested in Antonio Gibson, Adrian Peterson's still there. So if they don't even want to carry a fourth running back, it's a big, big problem. Um, yeah, that, that <laughs> not looking good for Bryce Love there. If he's not able to stand out at this point, that is, that is sad. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that he eventually sticks on to the team. I think that I, I really don't see them keeping only three running backs on the roster when you're, when one of your running backs is, I think, 35 years old. And he hasn't really had any injuries, but you don't want to uh, fully count on Adrian Peterson at 35 years old and Antonio Gibson, who, you know, we haven't, we haven't seen him uh, get a full workload. So um, two uncertain guys. And then JD McKissick, who has been more of a, a pass catcher over his career. I think that Bryce, Lo um, I think that Bryce level eventually, eventually be on the team, but Obviously, the fact that he's the number four in this uh, running back group is definitely a concern. So, yeah, someone that, you know, is looking to, to pick up Bryce Love, I, I would be a little hesitant on that. Ooh, um, this actually just came out, a report from The Athletic. It looks like Damian Harris is going to be the lead back with Michelle coming in as – kind of a spell guy and white and Burkhead controlling pass catching downs. So Damian Harris actually might end up being one of the best values in drafts. And we did not believe this come maybe what, two weeks ago, but I mean, if that's what they're saying in camp, that's a big deal. Damian Harris could end up being a huge, huge deal. Um, also yeah. some news with Antonio Brown. And yeah, it game suspension. Yeah, for two other personal conduct issues, but could extend the suspension if new info comes out. Uh, I can already tell he's going to sign somewhere and it's going to ruin someone's fantasy value like so badly. And I don't know who it's going to be, but it could get ugly. He came with Jeff. That yeah. would be so sad. I would be so sad. Josh Gordon 2.0 cannot be ruined by Antonio Brown. I just, we just can't let that happen. But wow. yeah, no, that pretty much um i don't really know we didn't get any other questions um yeah josh kelly looking pretty good in camp bryce love i heard he was looking pretty good but i guess not and uh yeah as a ronald jones truther 
he scored a touchdown today in practice in a scrimmage. Uh, he keeps looking like the guy in his backfield. They had two running backs fumble. LaShawn McCoy didn't do anything. Dari Gumbawale just is a pass catching back, I guess. So Ronald Jones, every day, every day goes by. He keeps looking like the league winner that we believe he might be able to be. So with that being said, draft Ronald Jones on your teams. Doesn't matter where he's being drafted. Just press the draft button. He's probably going to return value on that. We have him at 25 right now. Upside for him is really top 12. And I don't think anybody would be crazy, crazy surprised if they've been following Ronald Jones throughout this offseason. It has been nothing but positivity for him. And yeah, that's it. Go Rojo. That wraps things up for our second mailbag pod. If you want us to answer your questions, make sure to ask us on social media. Our Instagram is at First Take Fantasy and our Twitter is at FT Fantasy FB. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button.